Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you. Welcome home. Hi, Genre Junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. And welcome to a late August episode, which means Code Orange is afoot. Oh, yes. All over the place. So as a reminder, since this is a horror episode, you know, in October, we do all horror. That's all we do. And it's coming up real quickly yep. here. So get your fantasy and get your sci-fi while you can. <laughs> get your fantasy and get your sci-fi. <laughs> you know, it'll be next month. Well, we already have the conclusion, the last two books of the Obelisk Gate. Yes, um, Broken Earth Trilogy. Broken Earth Trilogy with Caleb will be back. So that'll be part of that sci-fi fantasy September (laughs) uh, kind of rhymes. And then we got some other tricks up our sleeves. And then then we'll be back. We'll be back with all horror for the month of October and then back to a mix again. But um, it's so exciting. It's... You know, we're starting to plan, starting to get ready for all the fun, like, fall and spooky activities, starting to spot the code oranges out there in the wild. Um, I've already gotten a few, a couple of things that are really more home decor than they are Halloween decor for me. But um, you know what? It's good. It's all good. Halloween decor is kind of the most fun because you can really decorate the house for Halloween and you can decorate it as early as you want. Yes, and we, Which, we, you know, we, our house yeah. is a little bit Halloween year-round. Yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit. Um, but it's exciting. Um, we are, as the kids say, we are chuggy old millennials, and we love our Halloween. Chuggy, chuggy, chuggy. I don't know that phrase. Oh, it's what they call us. Okay. It's what the kids call us. We're chuggy. Chuggy. Okay. Basically what they say. I'm not up on all the slang. (laughs) Basically what they say by chuggy is what they mean is that we try too hard. So it's kind of like how like they would say (laughs) us as Disney adults. That's really chuggy. People who decorate too early for Halloween is chuggy. People who make Harry Potter a personality trait is (laughs) chuggy. Girls who have like a millennial girls have a coffee cup that says like, um, yes, I am the boss or whatever. Chuggy. And really, we were talking about this on Spooky Summer Party. It's really just a way that they're trying to steal our joy. Yeah. They're just trying to make the things that we like. They're trying to steal our joy. I don't remember making fun of Gen Xers like that. I didn't think of Gen Xers ever at all. Actually, but did anybody ever think of Gen Xers? That's kind of their whole that's kind of their whole thing. We're not traumatized. We're not carrying trauma. We're fine. We're completely forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> We're all traumatized. We're all traumatized. Um, for you it's for Neil and Caleb out there. Yes, for the Neils and the Caleb's in the crowd. Okay, so tonight we're talking about a novella called The Navajo Nightmare, which is such a great title. And it is by our friend, David Sodogram. David Sodogram! Who we love. And Steve Stred. So this is a book they co-authored together. This is a novella. It's less than 200 pages. So we're going to, um, really, this whole episode is not going to be super crazy long. And especially the non-spoiler section is is probably going to be pretty brief. Because we really want to kind of captivate your interest. And if your interest is not captivated, I'm sorry, there's 200 pages here. Like... You're a fool. You're a fool. <laughs> Before you even get to the synopsis, um, buy this book for the cover. 
alone. Oh my god! If you're a book collector <laughs> like we are, first of all, it's a it's that matte that matte cover, and it's kind of like a tiny trade, and it's floppy. It, I'm flopping it into the microphone right now. I know a lot of you like that flop. Uh, you know, for for our David Sodergren fans out there, and I don't mean to discount the other. You know, what's the other author's name? Steve Steve Stred. I don't mean to discount Steve Stred, but um, all of da- David Sodergren's novels have the best covers, and this one is my favorite yet. And we know that he he really had a hand in it. Yes. So, David, I want to know. We don't have you on the show this time, but did you? draw this too did, did you, you did you render this how did you do this in your in your um little afterward you say thanks to heather your wife who seems so cool and we haven't met her yet um for answering all your questions as you quote created my own cover from scratch for the first time i, I david i need to know more about this david david, david. <laughs> because this cover is sickening like Okay, I'm I'm a Western horror junkie, as we said on the show before. It's not to say I love every Western horror book I've ever read, but it's a subgenre I just absolutely adore, and I, I want more, more and more Western horror books all the time. And this is an awesome Western horror cover, and it's also just an awesome horror cover. So the whole front and back looks feathered, and you know, kind of like like the white is coming through mm-hmm. the red. Um, there's a little church on the back, which is really plays a significant part in the book same thing this kind of feathering is on the spine it's got this wonderful western typeface font if you're like a typography person if you're kind of a dork for that and i am a bit um it looks super super cool it of course has boris up in the corner uh 30 cents 30 cents boris is asking for this book um says a horror that's story. his cut yeah <laughs> And then it's um, on the front, it says, a chilling phantom from the very depths of hell. Who is the Navajo nightmare? Mm. And Mm. it's very pulpy. I mean, the whole thing just looks crazy, crazy pulpy. We have two gunfighters on the front. One has a skeleton hand. And that's like all we can really see of him. Something else I want to point out, since we're talking about covers, we haven't even started on the book yet. Uh, David has all of his books available in hardcover now, which uh, which is awesome. And uh, Sandra and I are slowly starting to collect those as well, because yeah. there's something about David's books and his writing and his covers that just gives me like that completionist urge i yeah. have to have everything yeah and eventually i'm you know i think we're just gonna ship everything over to scotland and have them sign it for us could you just we're kind of sick of waiting for you to come here so could you just kind of sign these and then we're, we'll be good <laughs> i remember david if you ever get to do any sort of a u.s tour you stay in northern california you can save money by sleeping on our couch so like come on why aren't you on tour again? and you know what bring steve with you because i think i like steve well, Steve has much much less of a trip to come. <laughs> yeah, true. He's, he's just in up Canada way. <laughs> yeah, bring the whole family. Why not? So um, I'll tell you a little bit about this novel. But oh, yeah. But to further Scott's point, if you want them in hardback, get them in hardback. If you want them in floppy, delicious paperbacks, they got those for you. You just got to order them. Get them both. Get them all. Get them both. Mm-mm-mm. Saddle up for twice the terror in The Navajo Nightmare. Charles Anderson is a killer, or at least he was once. Now he lives a quiet life with his family until a gang of crooks take everything from him and Charles must make a diabolical pact, his soul in exchange for vengeance. 
Tanner Williams has been tasked with an impossible job to track and kill the bloodthirsty abomination that stalks the plains. Haunted by his dark past, Tanner must learn the horrifying secret of the Navajo Nightmare. From the twisted minds of David Sodergren, The Forgotten Island, and Steve Stred, Ritual, comes a gripping, blood-soaked horror western that will leave you breathless. So, to begin with, this um, started from the mind of Steve Stred, mm-hmm. who uh, did wrote a short story that David found and loved, and the two of them decided to work on together. And I want to say, Steve, good mind. <laughs> Good mind. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've read anything by Steve, um, but I'm very excited to start because I definitely like his style. Um, it blends well with David's, especially when they're writing in this kind of um, historical fiction horror. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they have a very good grasp on the subject matter, both of them. Um, so let me just start up by saying, well, first of all, we're, we are going to give you some trigger warnings at the top of the spoiler section. Yeah. Um, just because it's a <laughs> it's a horror book, even in non-horror books, there's often triggers, and we're trying to be really good about putting those in for people. Um, I digress. So what they both do, which is what makes historical fiction sing, and I'll say it every day, I'll say it to the day I die, is you write the people like real people. Everyday people. They're just the same as you and me. They're just the same as us. They're just in a different time period. And, you know, you have to make them human. You can't make them flat like this is a person from the past. Past persons were different. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You you have to invest in them and make your and make your reader care about them just as they would a contemporary character. So for me, this book, by the way, was a page turner. So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting you talk about the characters because, yes, there's a there's a real person um, deep down in it. But one of the things that I like about the characters in this book is there is a there's a pulpiness to them as well. Yes. Like they're turned up to 11. Yes. Um, you know, they fit some archetypes that are are really fun to read. There's a reason why Westerns were and still are so popular yeah and there's a and there's a reason why you know like pulp fiction is so much fun to digest right uh for me this was a page turner as well i really um i really felt that it moves at a really steady quick pace yes that um you know, it, it doesn't leave you hanging. It just keeps you going on and on and on. It's yeah. it's it's very fun read. Because believe it or not, and I know a lot of you readers out there will know what we're talking about. There can be times a novella can drag. <laughs> oh boy, yes. And so it's um that is not just because it's a short page book does not mean it's not going to drag. No. Um. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, he he they both he's do a great job of of investing in the characters and the story and making you care but at the same time there's a fun fantastical element to these characters that they're um they're a little larger than life i guess is a good way to put it so a little bit like steve i grew up with a family that was very into westerns um Specifically, my mom liked Western movies, and my dad liked a lot of Western fiction, and so did my grandma. And between all of those, I grew up with a very decent Western education. Um, Westerns have not fully grabbed me 
as a fiction genre except for the horror western and i i think for me it's just a little bit of that kind of like these guys talk about it's a little bit of that nostalgia and kind of a family connection that makes you kind of like it because it's something that was kind of a part of your life and you grew up with um I think that all historical fiction lends itself wonderfully to horror, but there's something about the West. There's something about it. And I can't quite put my finger on it, except for maybe other writers and stuff. Like we've talked about Josh Mallerman and Unbury Carroll, which is one of my favorites of his, that there's just something about putting it in that Western time frame that makes it very, very interesting. See, for me, I think that I've discovered something about myself uh, as far as genres are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, We've read a few Westerns on this show. Yeah. I don't know if it's my genre. Horror Western even? Horror Western either. I mean, here's the thing. I've... With the exception of one, I've enjoyed all of them. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of great stuff to pull from it. But, like, if I was just you know, going to the shelf and picking out a book for myself. I don't know. I don't know if Westerns translate for me on the page as well as it does on the screen. Right. I, cause I love a good screen Western. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if the, I don't know if the books grab me as much as I, I don't know if I relate to it as much on the page. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so something that we'll kind of talk about in the spoiler section, but also just to tip off is these authors um, are very much aware that a lot of Western things are problematic. <laughs> and, and they do talk about that. And, you know, like as an adult person, even when I was younger, but especially now as an adult, I can look at things and be like, wow, that's very problematic in that Western. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunate. And there's something, there's some stuff that they cover in this book that I feel like it's a little bit of reclaiming the Western a little. And I I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll save it. But just kind of know that going in. I'm not saying this is going to fix all the problems that <laughs> Westerns have ever done. But um, there's something really satisfactory that they do in this book in regards to making it a little bit more compassionate towards everybody that's not a straight white man. Certainly an interesting take, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, for the horror people out there, before we hop on over into the spoiler section, you're going to like this book, Horror People. It's um, it's gory. It's bloody. It's weird. <laughs> and um, it's graphic. Yeah. And, I mean, for that... <sighs> I'm having a little bit of a hard time pinpointing my audience because I want to put it in niche, but at the same time, there's two niches here. Because if you're a horror person, you're going to like it. And if you're a Western person, you're going to like it. Yeah. So I'm kind of having a hard time. It's kind of like niche, but very adjacent to almost a general. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, a lot of books we read here, they cross a couple of subgenres, mm-hmm. but this is definitely for Western people and horror people. Even better if you're both. Yeah. So this book is gory. Um, so David is so extra when it comes to his violence. Yeah. And he seems to have found a kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it is graphic yeah. and it's graphic in a way that is actually very fun. Um, and yeah, I, for the most part, yeah. Well, yeah. And I say that in a way that 
well, yeah, some of it's horrifying, but yeah. it's still, you know, it tickles that little horror thing, even the horrifying things. And as someone who is now, I will say, a horror fan. Yeah. Um, you know, I get it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that this is for horror fans. Yeah. And I think it is also for Western fans, but yeah. it is for those niches in particular. Yeah. I think that it's a huge recommend for people in those niches, but it is a niche book. I also think it's maybe a good kind of gateway to Splatterpunk a little bit. Oh. Where, like, there's definitely, like, Splatterpunk, as as I've always understood it to be, is violence for violence sake. Violence and gore for the sake of just being entertaining violence and gore and pushing the envelope as far as you can. And I think a lot of uh, good horror and splatterpunk uh, overlaps like that. But um, this one's got a few particularly gnarly little scenes in it Mm -hmm. that um, just put the particularly gnarly, but I, I am, we don't review a ton of splatterpunk on this show because Scott isn't into it, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I like splatterpunk, um, and I will never turn down anything for being scary or gory or gross or um, offensive in a book just for the sake of entertainment. But and this is not that. But like what I'm saying is, it's you're kind of tipping a toe into maybe I can push this farther, you know. And if you like that, then then I say go, <laughs> come with me over here. <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, definitely read this book if you are interested. Um, definitely read that book if you like gore and you like horror and you like westerns. And you know, honestly, take a peek at Steve Stred because uh, I I really like his writing style, and you can you can definitely feel the difference between the two, mm. although they mesh very well. Yeah, and I I like where he's coming from. Oh, and one last thing too before the spoilers section. Reading Steve's um, forward, uh, I I felt it was so heartfelt. And I think that both of these guys put a ton of love into this book. And that is one thing that um, really sticks with me is there's a lot of love in this book. And both of them just seem like the nicest people. David, who we've gotten to talk to a number of times, um, is a very nice person. He says that Steve is the nicest person in Canada. Um <laughs> And I just, I think they're both, you know, sometimes in this weird world we live in, sometimes it's nice to reward people with your money when they're nice people. Yeah. <laughs> they're just good people. Okay, that's my soapbox. Spoiler section? Let's go. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Okay, here are the trigger warnings we could think of. Uh, apologies if we missed anything. Um, right off the bat, there is sexual assault in this book, or at least we are led to believe that a sexual assault has just happened, mm-hmm. or we're kind of getting some flashbacks of it. So doesn't matter. Sexual assault content is in this book. Um, as they say in the foreword, uh, indigenous people are referred to as natives. And that word and that kind of term for a group of people is not um, a lot of people's favorite way to be identified, but it is historically appropriate. So, you know, there's some of that going on. And there's also a depiction of somebody who was a slave who was black. Yes. And, um, you know, time appropriate terminology is used for that character as well. He is referred to as a Negro. So um, 
I, I think that, well, you can judge for yourself if that is something that you're okay with. Right. I think these authors make it clear that that's not what's in their heart, but they're writing a historical context book. Mm -hmm. So on with the show. <laughs> oh, wait, one more. And also, I don't usually like to give this trigger in books because I don't want to over, I don't know, it seems silly, but I don't want to overdo it. But um, there's some pretty severe violence against children in this book. Uh, yes. Yeah. Big so, time. On with the show. Okay. So this book is split into basically two stories. Right. Um, from what it seems, for the most part, I'm sure that they each had their own input on the two, but one is written by David and one is written by Steve. Right. So we have the first part of the book, which is where we follow Charles Anderson, who, you know, is a gunslinger and now he's reformed. Um, I fell so in love with Charles and his wife. Oh my God, it's such a great story and setting and idea. And I love the two of them together. And uh, Mary and their little boy and um, just the way that like, you know, Mary has a past, he has a past and they just enjoy each other and they just enjoy each other's company so much. And they're just kind of moving into something new. And she just wants to have like, this kind of normal little like settled down family and he does too but he's a little he's a little more rough around the edges to easily you know kind of conform than she is but he just wants to be with her and be with their son yeah. so it's kind of like well that's what i gotta do then and i see this is this is the softy that i am i wanted the story of him coming back after getting the two thousand dollar loan and the two of them working the land and you know making them like i wanted that whole story i wanted a little house on the prairie um <laughs> where you know except david that, cites that except that pa used to except that pa used to be a cold-blooded killer that's <laughs> what i want that's what i wanted and i'm mad that i didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> I know. And this is funny. This is two back-to-back -back books now that we've done that have a lot to do with vengeance. Mm -hmm. um, very different, though. Very, very different. So it's, okay. it's, but it's, um, there's still like Ike and Charles and, um, uh, what's his name? Billy. What's his name? Billy, Buddy Lee. Buddy, Buddy Lee. They would all get along really well. Because <laughs> they'd all be like, you're a killer. I'm a killer. Yep. Killer here, too. Cool. <laughs> um, when I mean, I can't tell you the the agony and the ecstasy moment of him coming back with that loan after what he had to do to get to that point in his life and to get there and to come back to that devastation. I it crushed my heart. You know, it was it was it started off as bad as Luke Skywalker coming home and finding his aunt and uncle charred. as charred skeletons. <laughs> and uh, David turned it. that up to 11 and, yeah. of course, uh, made it much, much worse. Um, I, I want to talk about really quickly about just how horrible their deaths were. Oh, they're bad. That that scene, mm, I mean, it was, it was really awful with her. It was um, shocking. Yeah. Shocking the way that Jack died. It just, um, a lot of this book has to do with the nature of good and evil, you know, and, and what is good and what is evil and what is forgivable. When can good, you know, be evil? When can evil turn back to good? And, you know, there's a devil in this book and there's a specter in this book. 
but that gang of humans are the worst in this book. Those humans are the worst. They are the worst. And I, and they just like, they're the worst. And then they become worster. (laughs) (laughs) They, They become, they become just even more awful. Like they're, they're, now two of them are cannibals? Yeah, they're just kind of just just dipping a toe into cannibalism here. A no toe, big deal. And then they're eating the toe. They're dipping into cannibalism. You, would you like the last titty? <laughs> Get the fuck out. You know what? You're going to die. You're all going to die. Bye. I hope I hope you die painfully. Um, there's the opening line of this book that I adore. As is so often the way with blasphemous acts, it all started on a Sunday. <laughs> I highlighted that so quick yeah i mean this whole opening of this book is is so great um absolutely brilliant um so so then we have of course charles meets lester who's a devil the devil a devil a trixie a trixie little devil man who we love i especially love and he makes oh he makes you such a deal you can't refuse he makes you an offer you can't refuse it's so simple, but it's, you know, you got to look at those fine lines in the contract and the semantics. And that's kind of the problem is he kind of comes to you when you're a little vulnerable. So you're not thinking about that. Oh, it should be so easy to get the five men. And uh, it turns out it's no, no, it's just five over and over and over and over and over again. Never mind the, you know, probably 200 people yeah. that he also killed to yeah. get those five men. Right. So <laughs> there's that. It, it's just this violence begets violence and this, you know, this cycle that you find yourself in. Um, I, I greatly enjoyed Lester, though. I thought he was funny and he kind of fit me as like a timeless character, truly. Like I can imagine that Lester travels all through time and different worlds just making deals. Yeah, he's basically the crossroads demon, except he lives in churches that pop up in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I love a demon that lives in a church. <laughs> Get out. And David, I feel like you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that could have been a Steve thing, but I don't know you well enough, Steve, but I feel like that was a cheeky little little David yeah. nugget there. Um, well, and uh, Charles gets his revenge. And I love his um, transformation into... The Navajo Nightmare. Oh, it's disgusting. It's so gross. Him turning into the skeletal creature that yeah. he is destined to be. But there's still some fleshy bits. Mm-hmm. Um, I can picture it. I can picture it so vividly. And like I said, he's a specter. He's this He's this thing. And they kind of talk about it in the book. He's this story that's a myth that's also real, that's also a tall tale. And um, it just feels very rich. It feels very rich. So... Turns out that when he's not doing his cyclical work for Lester, he gets to be with his family. Yes. So ah! I want to thank you, Steve, for that. You think it was Steve, not David? But that was in Steve's. That was in Steve's story. Well, yeah, but I mean, they both might have come up. Well, that's true. So, um, since this was in, you know, the part that Steve wrote, I'm going to give Steve credit for this. Thank you, Steve, for um for giving us that. At least he gets to be with his family in between being um basically the the westerns version of Jason. <laughs> 
Oh my God, I love it. But it's so true. Um, that's a really good observation. I wonder if they even know that, like, until we just said it out loud. <laughs> until you just said it out loud. Um, but I, I like that he gets to be with his family. And it, it again, it calls to something that I really, really like. That again, I, it just rich. Enriching is the best way that I can put it. That it's not this binary black and white hell right like he's bad and he's done bad and he must repeatedly go out and do these sinful murders if you will but he also was good and he also gets to spend some of that purgatory time with his loved ones yeah and that i really like that a lot i like that non-binary look at this punishment cycle he's in it feels very like myth mythos i really like it so do you feel that he's that, you know, him being pulled back in to kill five people every once in a while is part of a, a punishment cycle? Or do you feel like it's just part of the deal? Part of the. Well, I guess it's it's part of the deal, but it is punishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's part of the deal. Although. So it seems like it seems like he typically comes back to kill horrible people. By and large. Um, and, you know. I mean, to be clear, most of the people um, who were out hunting him had, you know, had killed in their past. Right. Had had a, had a murderous history, although not all of it um, inexcusable, if I may say so myself. Yeah. So um, I'm just curious, you know, what, you know, what Lester is targeting. Um, or maybe he's just targeting blood. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of chaos for chaos's sake, but... um. And I mean, he loves blood. That's like his his gold, you know, as he kind of says, like, blood's his whole deal. <laughs> blood, I'm here for it. That's what Lester, <laughs> Lester says. But, um, you know, it's kind of like no good deed goes unpunished, right? So it's like, yeah, you want vengeance? I'll give you vengeance, but it is going to come with a cost. You don't always get to be with your family because when I want my blood, you have to go get it for me, you know? Um Smart. Very smart. I, w- I wonder what else Lester's gotten up to. And we know in this book, other people have met Lester, too. Yes. Other people in the adventuring party have yeah, met Lester. have met Lester. So, speaking of, then we have the lawman. <laughs> we have Tanner Williams and his his little posse. Um, I love Linda. <laughs> uh, I think she's awesome. And one of our first introductions to him i mean to linda is when she uh well i mean i could i could tell you when i just show you here um she had her arm cocked back handballed into a fist before the lawman even registered what was coming she hits him in the jaw his teeth rattle he falls back his legs sprawled out and she shoots inches from his junk (laughs) and she because she's just letting people know like don't fuck with me she's got kind of an annie oakley vibe she's she's a badass yes. and um i i know like again i don't know we don't know steve as well but we know david loves a badass female and mary's a badass too i should say mary was an absolute badass but um it's always nice when we're in the adventuring party in the old west and it's kind of a boys club mm-hmm. and then there's like this awesome chick in there um and she's out to avenge her husband um, and she even says, you know, there's another line in here. They didn't know her or what she'd been through. She didn't scare easy. And I was like, oh, sister, 
sister. Oh, I just felt immediately in love with her. So then there's also Carter, who's kind of like the little new kid on the block. Um, precious little child. Precious sweet little thing. He's got he's got a lot to learn, and unfortunately, he doesn't get to learn it <laughs> before. He- <laughs> he ends up sprayed across the desert um then there is hank who i love that hank and uh cutting teeth both get their little backstories but let's give hank his moment first Mm -hmm. so hank has a cool backstory um and it's really you know it's condensed down but he could be a whole book he could be a whole book um i his backstory made me feel a little icky, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm glad. I when it when we talk about him being a whole book, I'm glad that that was something that happened in his past, and and I, I don't know, it felt a little bit different since it wasn't happening currently. Right. But that 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 made me feel kind of icky, and not not in a not in a not in a fun way. Mm-hmm. His was the one that just didn't. It just didn't hit hit my stomach right. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, I and that's that's my own personal baggage. I think that I'm bringing to it. It just made me uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is a book about vengeance, and it's yes. full of vengeance in so many different ways and flavors of it. And um, you know, Hank is kind of out there now, being free, and he killed the evil person that owned him, and he killed the white woman who took advantage of him mm-hmm. and he he avenged not only himself but his mother and you know there's kind of a way sometimes and i'm not black so but this is just kind of for my interpretation as an outsider that sometimes when you read about these black characters or see them on tv or in movies like Django unchained you know it's almost like they're representing a lot of black voices in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful of, you know, they get to have a win. Um, And and I admire that when black folks are so overlooked or given shoddy treatments in Westerns, that, um, you know, he is beloved. Everybody loved him. And you could just tell, and even like there's that part he says to Carter, well, I'm your new big brother. And just like, you just you melt that 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 interaction was just so sweet and made me just so i loved both of them i didn't want to see everyone die this is a book where no one is safe literally no one literally well okay only one person is safe (laughs) (laughs) which brings us to cutting teeth oh love cutting teeth love cutting teeth. That's because you love a skinwalker. I do. I love a skinwalker. Shifter of any kind. Uh, he does not come out and say he is a skinwalker, but uh, that's what Tanner says he yes. is. But he is definitely a shifter of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, an indigenous person. He is a badass. Yeah, he is. He is great. And, you know, yeah, he's great. I love him. And he's another person that you want on your team. You want him and Hank and Tanner and Linda and even dumb little Carter. You want them you want them on your team. You want them on your group. Um and there's this wonderful subtlety and confidence to a, a shifter like cutting teeth is, you know, where he doesn't have to like be walking around telling everybody like, hey, 
I'm a shifter. <laughs> like, you guys, don't worry because you're traveling with a shifter. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, he just kind of handles things. And I appreciate his anger when he tells them the story. And, you know, he kind of feels a little bit slighted where it's just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that name, you know, I guess the name fits the story. It's like, that. that right. that's, that's my name. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it's because... Like Linda, I think it's even my dear Linda that says that, our dear Linda that says that, because she's, she doesn't quite, she's from a culture that doesn't have the fantastic like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for her to like picture it, right? And it's even like kind of said in there that he had that little seed of anger, but it sounds like Lester exploited it. Because Lester had to draw him away from the group. And, um, and then of course, Tanner like you know they're i I don't want to say they're working together but lester's like perfect i need to isolate this one from the group and so then when tanner sees i'm sorry not tanner when char rolls sees that opening then he's like perfect i can imitate the whistle and i can like move in but because he needed to get cutting teeth away from the rest of the party funny how charles went from um being like a genius gunslinger to being like beaten at every turn you know, by this group of five who are yeah. outmaneuvering him. And then, you know, by this time, he is like the master strategist. He's had some trial and error <laughs> to learn, I think. But also with the five is he was just blind because he was just full of that rage and hate and fury, complete, full, completely rightfully so. But so he wasn't he wasn't thinking as clearly as he should have been to really execute them. The one thing that I want more of as well is I want that story, that backstory between Tanner and Charles. Oh my gosh. And you know that's sitting in like Steve and David's drafts somewhere. Yes. I love that, you know, this worthy adversary, worthy foil, worthy foe sort of vibe. The thing that I'll say about this more than anything else is I feel like this is the kind of start to a serialized, um, to a serialized release. Like, right. you know, I, 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 I likened him to a Western Jason. This is the kind of setup. This is the kind of characters, the kind of story where, you know, you could see Navajo nightmare five yeah. Navajo nightmare in space. You know what I mean? Right, like right, right. I could see like stories of him, of him coming back and, you know, terrorizing for whatever reason. And you have a different, you know, reason to be hunting him down or yes. defending yourself or being different reason to be hunted. Uh, it's, it's a really cool setup that is, mm. you know, really recognizable yet really unique at the same time. Right. It's, it's, um, it's an old trope in, in a good way. Trope mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, we kind of have it a lot of the time in context of trope being bad, but trope isn't bad. Theme, trope, you know, that sort of language. Because when I was reading this, it's something I love, which is a Faustian archetype. And David even says in his afterword, I deliberately chose a simple Faustian revenge story to keep things from getting too complicated. Um, but sometimes the old ways are the best ways. <laughs> you know, sometimes just keeping it simple and violent, but also tugs on your heartstrings. And we've said that before, that that's some of the best horror is when horror is visceral and, you know, disturbing, but also um, you feel you feel things, you feel emotions and you feel compassion and you feel love. 
And I, I just think that these two just really nailed it, which is why I'm going to give this book four skeleton hands out of five. Ooh. Um, I, I think that these two work really well together. I think that the excitement and the love and the passion is evident on every single page of this book. Um, I, for myself, and again, this is a product of just my own personal, um, my own personal thing that I think I've discovered myself, and that's the genre. I'm giving it three skeleton hands out of five. I think it's incredibly well written. I think that um, there's more stories to be had there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted the story of him coming back with from the loan and, you know, creating Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> That's me. Well, you know what? Maybe if you're if you're really good and you wish really hard, then David will write that for you. Well, apparently David can write like seven books in a year. So maybe Steve can, you know, maybe Steve can do that too. And the two of them can, can give me that. Could you just give me the Little House on the Prairie fanfic? And, the- and you know, every once in a while, yeah. You know, the, the bandits come into town and they try to take what he wants. You and gotta he, do some killing. And, and, you know, throw Mary into the mix too. Like he takes her out and sh- teaches her how to be a sharpshooter. And the two of them oh, go on yeah. hunting missions together. I want the alternate version with that. That's what I want. That's what I want. Five out of five skeleton hands for that. <laughs> um. I also like. I know you grew up with Little House on the Prairie, but I n- I've never seen it. So you've I, never seen any of it. No. So I just have like this really, I don't know, really funny thing of it in my head, oh, and and I don't it. know that they aren't shooting people out <laughs> on the prairie. Oh, there. I mean, there's 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 certain things that happen. Is there a time when Pa has to do some killing? <laughs> Not like you're thinking. <laughs> oh, too bad. Okay, thank you so much, David. Thank you, um, Steve Stred, our new friend. Uh, welcome to the Genre Junkies family. Pull up a piece of couch. We got room for you here. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Please keep reading past your bedtime. <laughs>